Bandwidth for this week in photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is brought to you by Drobo. Find out how you can get your own Drobo at drobo.com slash twip. Welcome to another exciting edition of This Week in Photography. And because I didn't say, hey, everybody, you know, it's Scott Bourne. My little buddy Alex is off gallivanting around the world again. So it's uh, just me at the helm with uh, two very special and usual guests that we we tend to rely on because of their their incredible grace, their incredible knowledge, their incredible ability to communicate. Stop, stop, oh. stop. And that would be Steve Simon from New York City. Welcome, Steve. Okay, go on a little bit longer. <laughs> How's it going? Good to be back. Good. Glad to have you on the show. It seems like months since I've seen you, although it's only been a few weeks since we were standing at the Tetons together. I miss you, man. It's, yeah. it's been a little while. It's been a little while. Of course, you know, we'll, we'll talk about your gallivanting around uh, after that. Also, I'm going to take a wild guess that he's up here in Seattle. Ron Brinkman joins us. That is correct. So you get it right. It's Alex, the one that can't seem to pinpoint me. Yep, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in Seattle. Looks like the sun's even coming out a little bit today. Well, since we're going to lunch tomorrow, I figured you were close. Yes, exactly. Um and we have Aaron standing by if we need him, and uh, we're going to do our best to give you all the good news and information and stuff that you count on here at TWIP. Uh, we're hubbing this from uh, my studio in Gig Harbor, so I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, this is a little different technical setup than we're used to using. want to start right off the bat by reminding you that if you have not linked to twipphoto.com, you have a little bit of time left to do so and get a chance to win $1,000 worth of prizes, including VMware Fusion, Adobe Lightroom, Aperture, JBL Reference 220 earphones, a bunch of stuff. And all you have to do to to enter is link to us. You must be 18 and a U.S. resident to enter, and we will post the winner on October 31st. We're going to check our referral logs here at twipphoto.com. So just link to us from your website or blog. If you don't have a blog, you can get a free one from Google, so no excuse. Get that done. Uh, get it done quickly because we're going to pick the winner October 31st. Is so it is links it okay? like from Facebook pages and all that count too? Nope. got to be from a blog or a website. So right. what, if, what, if, what if you link uh, from outside the United States? I mean, I guess you can't be in the you, contest, but you can still link to us, right? You can still link to us. Unfortunately, the lawyers won't let me give prizes away to people that live outside the U.S. And bastards, those bastards. You know, people want to cuss me for that, feel free to do it. But the reality of it is, is the lawyers are in charge. And uh, I pay them $400 an hour for their opinion, so I'm going to listen to it. Let's move on to the news. Now, Ron, you uh, you wanted to jump right in with a news item regarding James Natchway. James, yeah, James Natchway. Uh, yeah, it, I, this was a pretty interesting one. I don't know how many of the listeners are familiar with, with James Natchway, but um, uh, you should be, because he's, he's really one of the premier sort of photojournalists uh, war photographers out there. He's just an amazing body of work, and and he was um, and he was featured at the TED conference, which probably most people are familiar with. It's a yearly conference of people that are doing big things, and he sort of had a wish that uh, the the internet community would help him out trying to spread the word on a project that he's he's involved with, and uh, it's it's particularly about uh, spreading word about this. Uh, 
extremely uh, drug resistant tuberculosis and uh, so we'll put a link up on the page but basically he, he, uh, he sort of enlisted the internet community to uh, spread the word about uh, what he's doing you know photography related to this uh, sort of epidemic that's out there and then really just trying to get the word out so I thought it was an interesting combination of you know using the internet but also using photography to for a really good cause generally anything that you find in Ted is interesting yeah. yeah, his his work is is really epic. Is is one you know good way to describe it, and you know he's he's been consistent over the years. And as Ron said, yeah, the body of work is is really quite extraordinary. Hard to look at most of the time, frankly. Yeah, I mean it's not pretty. It's very raw, very real kind of stuff. But it's just uh, it's just astounding some of the the images that she that he gets. And you're right that, uh, you know, all over the internet in, in sort of where I was looking in terms of photojournalism and documentary, um, it was posted everywhere. It was quite the, the you know, if you will, you know, public relations kind of uh, uh, coup in that um, people were very aware of it coming online, I think, October 3rd. So I think it probably has been seen by, by a lot, a lot of people. Well, we'll have the link to this on the blog at twipphoto.com. If you want more information, it'll be in the show notes, which will be posted within 24 to 48 hours of this show finding its way into your RSS feed. Let's talk about the little controversy that happened around the some of your facial parts story. The New York Times article uh, came to us by way of lots of listeners. It discusses how uh, they're using software that analyzes your face and and makes it look prettier. I do want to point out that my face broke the software, so there is a temporary halt to its use. <laughs> That's interesting because uh, my face was put in, and they couldn't make it any prettier. Oh, it didn't okay. It all. I see. What can I say? Anyway. You got a little Muhammad Ali. I'm so pretty going on there. Well, Very interesting. You know, this kind of thing is not new. It's been going on for years. In fact, no, I, yeah, I, exactly. I really get a kick out of listening to people, oh, damn Photoshop. You know, when before Photoshop, this didn't happen. I got news for you, folks. There were people retouching negatives as far back as there are negatives. And there have been many, many, many controversies over negative retouchers back in the 40s. So it's not new. It's just easier Today. And actually, Scott, right now, you've probably seen this, but, you know, there's a controversy a little bit over the latest Newsweek cover of Sarah Palin, which has this really tight close-up, and a lot of Palin supporters have kind of chastised Newsweek saying they didn't retouch it. Right, they were saying, you know, it, yeah, why, why, didn't, uh, why didn't Newsweek touch it up, which is just ridiculous, but... Well, there you go. So you can't win one or the other. You can't. But yeah, I, I'm not going to get into the politics of it. I think it speaks for itself. Let's move but, you on. Know, you know, just before you move on quickly, um, you know, this has kind of scientific components. It's not so much, uh, you know, the idea of, of retouching, but I guess the researchers kind of were determining, you know, what the universal standard is for kind of good looking. And, and they, they have, you know, sort of figured out that there are certain sort of common um, uh, cues that they are able to plug into the computer and create these these images i could have so. saved them so much time and effort <laughs> just take a look at my face go the inverse direction everything's copacetic you are so harsh on yourself the scott Let well me tell i'm you. no model i guarantee you but i've photographed a lot of them and i happen to think that most people look darn nice the way they are but that's just me I do want to mention that uh, there's a couple of bird workshop opportunities going on, February 13th through 17th down in Florida, in Fort Myers. In fact, my friend Artie Morris is leading his very famous five-day southwestern Florida workshop. 
It is the premier opportunity in that part of the world that time of the year to get bird photos. You could build an entire bird for, uh, portfolio from this workshop. I will be one of the three teachers. There's only a couple of seats left. also want to mention I'm doing some private workshops at Bosque del Apache the week of Thanksgiving, which is the very best week to be there. Again, you can do a complete portfolio from what you could get in just a couple of days there. There are only two uh, opportunities left there. I just want to mention those. We'll have that information on the blog. Also, let's talk about Microsoft. We don't hear this name associated with photography as often as you might think, but they have released Pro Photo Tools 2. Anybody uh, have any uh, experience with this? Being a, a Mac pure blood, I've never touched this. You know, yeah, I, I'm in the go, same boat too. Well, you know, I, ha- I have to admit, and it, it's probably not good, especially you know with our responsibility to our, our TWIP listeners out there. But I, I think that you know, often when things come up that don't affect me, and that is often the <laughs> the Microsoft world, I really won't look in, until you know the buzz is such that I, I'm forced to. So I haven't taken a look. I, I must admit. Well, I do want. I do know about it. It's a free. It is a free metadata application. And version 2 adds the ability to both read from and write to the XMP sidecar files, allows conversion raw formats, and works in the 64-bit space in Windows. So those of you using Windows, check it out. And why don't you be sort of like, you know, on-the-spot field reporters for us. Send us uh, some comments and tell us whether you think it's good or bad. And if you do do that, tell us what you do and don't like about it. Don't just say it sucks or it's great. Tell me tell me why, and we'll try to get that into next week's show. We might have to find a designated Windows photographer to occasionally come on the show and, and represent the Windows point of view because we're all Mac people. Yeah, I, mean, I do think it's kind of interesting that you know this, all of these operating systems are now, they've sort of got the burden of having to support reading raw files and this, which means that they are constantly chasing you know what the the camera manufacturers are putting out and it's really it's kind of strange i mean i know it was a pain in the ass whenever we were at, at apple having to do that too where it's just you know you're constantly chasing it you know and adobe has to chase it as well it just seems like these these manufacturers would be a lot smarter to release sort of api level tools right away whenever they release a new raw format and i don't see them doing that generally well you know i'm testing the uh, lx3 i just got the lx3 and i i decided to keep it and you know, I can't even look at the raw stuff because nobody supports it yet. And it seems to me that if you're going to release the camera, you should re- release the camera with that information going to all the people that would need it. You're right. But that, that's a whole nother. We can do a whole show on that, Ron. So we, we, might, yeah. we might do that sometime. In fact, let's talk about the iFi card. Now, hey, Fred- Scott, before you go on, I was just curious. Um, you, you're, you're playing with your LX3. I saw, I saw you unbox it on TwipPhoto.com. Uh-huh. Um, have you had a chance to look at any, even though they're not raw, of the low-light stuff? that Have you been able to shoot high ISO yet? I have. And uh, at ISO 800, it looks as good as my G9 did at 400. Ooh, well, that's promising. But it's not. I mean, you know, you're not going to get D3-like images out of the thing. You know, at 1600, it's pretty crappy. But but you can use an ISO 800 photo, and you can really use an ISO 400 photo. In fact, I opened these just as JPEGs in Aperture on my 24-inch iMac and filled the screen with the images, hitting the F key for a full-screen image, and was shocked. And I mean shocked at how good they looked that big. It just stunned me. Fantastic. And, and the ISO 80 stuff, I, I mean, I hate to say it because, you know, I, I want to justify having these $5,000 D3 camera bodies laying around. 
But I yeah. have to say that the ISO 80 stuff from that thing would, uh, would publish in any book. Wow, well, that's that's great. It's great. I, to hear I just this. hope this thing. I hope this thing sells like crazy for those guys because it's you know going to push the industry in the in the right direction if it does. You know, yeah, fast it's only only ten point one megapixels. They didn't cram yeah. a bunch of megapixels on there. It goes with a wider lens, twenty four to sixty. I do uh, wish it was. I love a, that too. I wish it was about a twenty four to eighty. I can't lie, but yeah. the, but uh, and it doesn't have a viewfinder, which in my entire life this is the first camera I've ever purchased out of <laughs> viewfinder. But I did that because I know I. Can can buy the accessory viewfinder although it is wicked expensive really it's half the price of the camera i think um <laughs> it, it, and you can get a viewfinder for it but i will say that that ergonomically i still prefer the g9 g10 more dials and buttons they're actually for smaller people they might like the lx3 better i don't want to do a full review here because i i've only shot with the camera a couple of times but i will say i'm impressed and uh you know just to help put it in the bottom line category for you i got the g10 the next day i sent it back oh wow, wow. so let that statement uh let that, yeah, let yeah, that for all of in. you who call me a Canon fanboy, I have now completely emptied your clip. <laughs> There's not a single bullet left in your weapon because I do not own a Canon camera at the moment. Now, that could change. That could change. Yeah. I'm thinking of the 5D Mark II for video only. But uh, anyway, we'll talk wow. about the LX3 more on the blog at TwipPhoto.com when I actually do a review. Got some more news. We've got to rip through this so we can get on to questions. Uh, the iFi card has come out. Fred was uh, one of the people, Fred Johnson, who hasn't been here for a while, uh, has uh, tested this. And he liked the original one, but they've changed some of the things and, and uh, updated it. So now they can double the rate at which they can transmit photos over local Wi-Fi networks. And that was one of the big complaints that it was a little bit slow. Um, I, I personally am not interested in doing something like this, but I know a lot of people are because this thing has drawn a fair amount of interest on some of the forums. But we'll keep you updated if uh, we find anything else about it. It's also, still it's still limited to uh, specific Wi-Fi. It's not yeah, like you can just yeah. wander around. Which so is the I think big that's problem. Big, that's the big yeah. problem. Yeah. But it's a cool idea. E, Adobe forms a global philanthropic foundation. The Adobe Foundation uh, is based on driving positive social change and community improvement, builds on their existing programs to help youth in underserved areas get their hands on digital creative tools. I can't tell you how happy I am to hear this because 10 years ago, I started a foundation that did stuff like this in inner cities in Seattle and Tacoma. And my gosh, it was so cool to watch these kids get motivated. I was working with very young kids, a lot of uh, 10, 12-year-old boys who would come on Saturdays and go out and shoot with me, and then we'd get them a lunch because we found out most of them only ate if they were at school, never ate at home because they were typically in single-parent homes where the, the, the one parent that was there was potentially not there for some reason, whether it be work or crime or something going on. And we wanted basically an excuse to feed them, but these kids would get... We had Pentax K1000s back then, and we'd walk around and take pictures, and then we'd go process them in the last black and white lab that was left in Tacoma and my gosh you should see the smiles that came on their faces so this kind of stuff is, is really cool and I, I applaud Adobe for it 
not only that, Scott, but you know, when you actually, and, and I'm sure you could uh, talk about this, when you see programs like Kids with Cameras or any of these kinds of initiatives, um, you see what is being communicated in the work by these sort of rookie new to photography or video people. And, and, and you're going to have a real fresh perspective you know, when they photograph within their own lives as to what's going on because you have a lot of photojournalists that parachute into situations and record it from their perspective but it's very unique to see them expressing themselves either visually or through multimedia and you can get some extraordinary results I'm sure there was some great stuff that you saw oh it shocked me in fact I would I was stringing at the time for some of the newspapers and covering the high school basketball championships and some of these kids saw me and I was sitting right underneath the goal of course on the floor and they all ran up and wanted to sit on my lap and <laughs> and play with my camera and talk about pictures and I saw some photographs from them that kind of stunned me because they saw things like you said Steve in a new way anyway let's applaud Adobe for doing that and let's uh, support their global philanthropic foundation and other efforts along those lines also speaking of Adobe my good good friend Linda Weinman who runs lynda.com l-y-n-d-a.com has just opened the CS4 University Photoshop CS4 is not shipping yet but you can learn how to use it. Now, isn't that scary? Uh, Deke McClellan, a very popular teacher, some would argue one of the best Photoshop teachers in the world, has a bunch of videos up there. So check that out at lynda.com. And the great news! Dun, 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 dun. Web firms quietly win copyright victory in Congress. The Senate on Friday passed the Orphan Works Act 2008 legislation that weakens copyright protection for those that cannot be located. It was referred to the House Judiciary Committee where... It died. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I am so happy. It died. And I am thrilled, too, because it didn't look like it was going to die initially, did it? Did no, it? the library lobby is going to bring it back, trust me. However, yeah. one good thing that had happened to the Senate side, they did sort of beef up the reasonably diligent phrase that was used to talk about what constitutes a, a, a legitimate search, although the bill's far from reasonable in my opinion, and I'm just really, really glad that it died. So uh, that's it. If you have news you think others can use, why don't you send us an email, twipphoto at gmail.com, and of course you can always post things to the delicious tag that we've set up. All that information's over there on the blog. Let's run over to the site of the week. Who provided this side of the week? Was this this was Aaron? Aaron, jump in here and tell us about this. Hi guys, um, the side of the week that uh, that I tossed in for this week uh, comes from a, a podcast, or it comes to me in the form of a podcast that uh, I've listened to off and on for uh, for well over a year now. Um, it's uh, Jeff Curto's History of Photography podcasts. Uh, Jeff is a, um, a professor at DePage College in Illinois and uh, teaches a history of photography course uh, out there that, uh, you know, a full semester course. And what he's been doing for a couple of years now is recording, you know, the uh, the class as it happens. I mean, we're, we're not talking, you know, massive uh, audio setup here or anything, but, you know, he's just recorded in very free form the, the course itself and the interaction with the students and has been posting that uh, via iTunes, you know, as a podcast for quite a while now. And, of course, as he does the course year after year, you know, he starts again at the beginning of the semester and re-releases it. So you can listen to two or three years' worth, actually, of the same course here are the variations in it. But, essentially, you can jump in at any point and, uh, you know, become a student in the class, so to speak. Um, Do we have to pay tuition, Aaron? 
Yep, totally free. Um, and all of his materials that he provides uh, for the course are on his website. So that includes all the visual aids that are you know happening in the class, um, his syllabus. Everything is completely wide open. So from what I can tell, you can, like I said, be a, pretty much a student in the class at your own pace uh, and, and soak up all that knowledge and information. But uh, yeah. how great is that? Credit for yeah. it. <laughs> I have listened to quite a number of hours of it, uh, starting with the first, uh, the first. I guess I will call it an episode since we're talking about podcasts here. But from the first class, and uh, his depth that he goes into is just phenomenal. I mean, just talking about the absolute history, the camera obscura, you know, and and just the course, uh, some of the earliest negatives that have ever been discovered, and the processes that were used to make that, and then of course moves more into the artistic and the political realm and so on. So the complete arc of the course is fascinating learning, and especially for anybody who's gotten, gotten into photography in recent years, purely in a digital sense, who may have never even been in a dark room, you're going to find the, you know, the knowledge that you gather across the entire arc of the history of photography to be phenomenal. So, wow. I'd I'm, I'm really looking like forward to put an invitation out. out to Jeff at some point, too, to be a guest on the show, because I think he could, uh, you know, he could provide just a, a great discussion one of these days on, on history of photography in general. Cool. That. That sounds amazing. Well, we'll have a link to that, of course, over on the twipphoto.com blog. And if you have a suggested site of the week, please send them because we often use suggestions from our listeners. And we'd like to hear what you, you think is great and we'll potentially put it up here on the show. We do have a couple of announcements we didn't get to last week because we had the truncated show, which was just an interview with Andrew where he did a great job talking about the rollout of all the new inkjet printers. But we do have a change. We're just going to have one photo assignment a month, and here's why. It's just getting too big to manage. So we're going to do one a month, but we're also going to try to do bigger prizes. And guess what the prize is this month? What? Go ahead and guess. Oh, gosh. Um, uh, Your house. Uh, not quite. <laughs> a USB Drobo, free of charge. A brand yeah. new one sitting in a box. That and that's going to go nice. to the winner of the current assignment, which runs all month. And the assignment is yellow. As always, we will not tell you how to interpret it. And additionally, if you go out and shoot this month to make your picture, that will give you a slight edge. If in the event of a tie, we pick the person who shot the photo most recently, as opposed to someone who brought a picture that they brought a couple of years ago. Because the real point of these assignments is to try to get you out seeing and shooting. Also, last week's winner, we didn't get to mention it on the show, so I'll do it now. He won the contest about gear. His name's Bob Gannon. All of these contests will be run at the Trade site from now on. The links are on the blog. In fact, it's in the right side nav. It says, enter my photo contest. That'll take you right there. It's free of charge. There are no entry fees. There's no no money paid to Trade. And the worst that could happen is you could win a free prize. So check that out. Also, we do have our Flickr discussion group going on still. Almost 7,000 members strong. Check that out. We also have 3,600 folks in the critique forum. We've been running these now for about 10 months. They're very lively. They're almost always very well-mannered and informational without a lot of spam or, or you know, snarky stuff. So if you haven't liked that in some of the other photo forums, come, mm. you know, come check these out. Now, that said, if you get snarky, somebody might get snarky with you. But Hey, can, can I add something, Scott? Feel um, free. That- comes to mind because you mentioned earlier when you talked about uh, the workshops that you're going to be leading and that, you know, basically in a one or two day period, you can build, 
you know, almost a, a whole portfolio of images. And, you know, like you said, you know, these contests are there to sort of get people out shooting. And when you sort of aim your camera in a place that is visually rich, where there's a lot going on, you can really kind of accelerate, I think, your growth as a photographer because you've got all these possibilities and it's digital, so you're shooting, shooting, shooting. And, and I guess just as a word of advice while it comes to mind is, you know, find places, find, you know, events that are happening that are visually rich, that you can, you know, make a lot of pictures and make a lot of mistakes and try things and, and, and you're going to see your work improve. Well, and you and I experienced that firsthand. We led the Aperture Nature Photography Workshop a couple of weeks ago at the Grand Teton National Park. We were Absolutely. With, we were with yeah. four very lucky winners who got a free trip to Wyoming and free hotel room and free meals and all kinds of free prizes from places like Think Tank Photo and Drobo and Linda and 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 Peach Bit Press and Lens Baby, etc. And boy, wasn't that a visually rich place. I mean, it, it totally was. I mean, it was, it was unlike any workshop that I had either taken or given before because it was like one-on-one. There were four winners. You know, they entered. It didn't cost them a thing. They just went to F64.com, and they won this all-expenses-paid thing. It was like one-on-one. We were kind of learning from each other. We all became friends, and, and, and we woke up really early and talked about <laughs> rich. I mean, no, I'm not complaining, but we woke, we woke up early. We shot from sunrise to sunset, even capturing the stars, uh, you know, late at night. And it, it was just an extraordinary experience. So, really, anyone that's listening, you got it. You got to enter this thing because you never know. Well, any and- kind of photo workshop will help you. And, of course, if you win one, that makes it even better. We have opened up, by the way, the second contest. I'm glad you mentioned that. Go to F64.com, which links you to Aperture Nature Photography Workshops blog and you can enter which is also on Fotrade free of charge once again uh, each person's prize package is valued at about $3,500 so check that out it is amazing all four of the people who won Steve said that they did not expect to win Absolutely. I don't think you ever can. I mean, it's again, it's not sort of mathematical. It's it's extremely subjective. Everyone, you know, that enters stuff that there's a lot of great stuff and four different people could have easily have won and and be worthy of winning. So you got to you got to sort of buy a ticket to to get into the lottery and Except uh, the ticket's it, free in this case. Except the ticket's free, exactly. How many photo workshops or excuse me, photo contests do you know of where there's big big prizes and no entry fee? Um, you know, not so many. I mean, when you look back sort of uh, at, at the, the history of photo contests, if you will, there are a few sort of big contests that have continued on, particularly the ones I know are more in the photojournalism documentary world. But, um, you know, often uh, uh, now it's become almost a cash grab. There's so many contests, and I think even professional photographers are getting wary of, of having to enter all these things to, you know, you know have, have their work promoted if you will. Often there are no prizes. It's just sort of the winning is enough, yet you have to spend like a hundred bucks to enter the thing. I, I'm a little disillusioned by it all. So this one, you know, you can't really say anything uh, badly about because it's, it's absolutely free and the prizes are, are amazing. And we're going to Yosemite National Park the week after Macworld and wow. ho- hoping for some snow because snow in Yosemite is just unbelievable. And um, I'm hoping you're going to join us again, Steve. I haven't got your commitment yet, but we're putting a little pressure on you here in public. We're hoping you're going to come along because you really helped. 
I hope too. Um, wasn't wasn't there a, recently a, a landslide up there? Or I got the right spot. There was some sort. Yes, of... Yes, there was, but it wouldn't affect where we're going to photograph. Oh, good. No, I was just curious. That was sort of unusual when I yeah. saw that. Yeah, it can always happen when you're in nature. Anyway, let's move on. I want to uh, get to listener questions, but before I do, I want to say that uh, we need to congratulate Steve because he recently got to do a very high-profile shoot with Carson Cressley from Queer Eye and the Straight Guy. We put a little link to your video up on the blog at Twip Photo. How was that for you, Steve? <laughs> well, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it was just really kind of a portrait session. Um, and I tell you what, I mean, he is, you know, he is like a, a, a hurricane uh, to work with. <laughs> Carson Cressley. I mean, it's, it's uh, I a think... very entertaining video. I gotta say, <laughs> I was much, much amused by it all. My favorite, I mean, my favorite part was when he he told the girl he pointed to you. That's supposed to be some really good photographer, and then they exactly yeah. supered yeah. up your uh, your your bona fides. Yeah, no, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. There might be uh, one or two more uh, where I'm involved in because we we shot for the whole day um, on that, and I actually am, I'm very impressed with how quickly they were able to put that thing together. Because basically, I think we just shot it last Monday, and already the the first couple or the first one um, has has shown up uh, on the the Look Good in Pictures uh, website. So uh, yeah, if you get a chance, you can check and, it out. And well, I was really impressed. You got to give some tips there. It wasn't just Carson. Well, no. I mean, I, I actually was given tips all along. It was it was kind of a demanding assignment in that I had to photograph Carson for that uh, sort of the the logo that appears on the page, and that was sort of my main thing. But I ended up, you know, being sort of a a, a player, and I'm I'm not going to win any Golden Globes for my for my. Uh, for my acting ability, but I guess I really wasn't acting. I was just being myself. But uh, yeah, I, I was asked, you know, various tips, and uh, and uh, I gave a few, and that's what they chose to to include uh, in it. You never know, you know, what hit the the best. The best of my stuff, of course, was on the cutting room floor. That's what of everybody course. says. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a lot of fun, and he's he's becoming quite a quite a photographer. I guess he's he's more used to being in front of the camera, but with this whole Nikon gig, he's uh, becoming. Uh, maybe we should even have him on at some point uh, toward the end of the campaign, and and see what he can teach us. Yeah, that would be hilarious. <laughs> that would be exhausting. <laughs> it would be it would be the equivalent of having I I don't know an alien come on the show, but it, it'd be great. He's a very yeah. fun guy. Well, just thanks for telling us about that, and congratulations. Do want to say that. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Drobo, the intelligent, automated backup robot. And hey, Scott. Yes? I'm feeling droopy. You got your Drobo! I actually have to say that I'm not officially feeling droopy. I'm sort of anticipating feeling droopy because I haven't completely hooked it up yet. But, but you own it. I can reach out and touch it right okay. now. Okay, and Steve just got his... I did, I did, and and like Ron, I'm 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 anticipating yeah. hooking it up. I haven't had time yet, but I, you know, I'm I can't wait. Well, I'm looking at uh, four right here in front of me, all with their nice little blue lights on the bottom and green lights on the side. It's pretty simple to operate. The entire instruction sets on the back of the faceplate. It's five lines. If the lights are green, you're good. If they're orange, you're starting to be in trouble. If they're red, you got to replace the drive. And the blue lights at the bottom tell you how close to full you are. It couldn't be any easier. You do not know, need to know a thing about RAID or anything like that. You plug these suckers in. You open up the Drobo dashboard that comes with the devices. 
You configure them by hitting a few very simple to follow buttons and away you go. Now, I really do want to mention the Drobo dashboard because a lot of Drobo users do not understand the power of this thing. It's really cool. It shows you your total storage capacity and, in fact, shows you how your storage is being used. It it represents it in a nice pie chart as well as in a bar graph. It shows you how much is overhead, how much is for protection, how much is reserved for expansion. You can get into some advanced controls even that talk about the actual health of each drive, giving you more data on storage capacity and data protection. And there are even some tools that you can use like for renaming and formatting drives when you install them, etc. And it's free. It comes with it. You can work without the dashboard, but I highly recommend that you do. If you want $25 off the price of your next Drobo, we've arranged something very special just for TWIP listeners. Go to Drobo.com slash TWIP, that's T-W-I-P, like This Week in Photography, and you can get $25 off either a USB or a Firewire Drobo while supplies last. And we really want to thank Drobo because you have no idea how much it costs to produce this show. When you have a popular show, that means you have a lot of bandwidth, and bandwidth costs bunches of money these days and without drobo we really couldn't do what we're doing so thank you very much drobo.com slash twip we thank them for their support now let's get on to q and a question and answer this is one of my favorite kinds of twip shows to do guys because we don't usually get to but a couple of questions and we have enough time today to answer several so i'm looking forward to this and what i'll try to do to keep the um Keep it so we can answer as many questions as we can. As I'll, I'll ask one of you to pick one, or I'll pick one, and we'll answer it. And unless you have countervening advice, we'll move quickly through these. So, we have the first question coming from Andrew Selig, and he says he wants some advice on a summer road trip location. Well, I'm guessing this question came in a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> because we're into fall, but let's assume that you want to go someplace next summer. He says he's a fan of back roads and less popular places, wants to know about it. any of our personal favorites. And I'm going to pass this one on to you, Ron. What do you think? Summer road trip. Uh, you know, it's it's tough not even knowing what part of the country he's coming from. Cause he says he's, he's, in, he says he, he's not. Well, he says he ma- won't be making his regular trip to Colorado, so I'm so guessing he's more middle of the adjacent. Country. Yeah, this kind of thing. I mean, you know, some of the stuff out west is is amazing. I I shot at uh, at Joshua Tree a while back, which is you know pretty close to L.A. And uh, I just thought of that just because he started mentioning he likes the back roads and stuff, and they've got some pretty interesting stuff in the park from you know some of the old ghost town stuff. So that that would be one place that I think might be kind of fun to check out. Uh, I don't think you could spend more than about a day or two there, though. So, you know, maybe take that as part of some other trip through the Southwest. Um, Zion is a big favorite of mine. It's been a lot of years since I've been there, but it's really beautiful. And and it's also one of those lesser-known parks, so it's not quite as crowded. Well, I will say that if you go to Joshua Tree, it's never as crowded as some of the other parks. And there is a lot of of opportunity there if you want to go and the entire palm springs area of course is beautiful but that would be a great a great place so i concur let's move on to the next one this is from cynthia speed and cynthia has questions about color printer 
printer color accuracy. Dear Twippers, your program is always entertaining. Get a bunch of helpful hints from it. I'm hoping you can give me a new helpful hint. I do not seem to be able to get the same output on my printer that I see on my screen. It's really apparent skin tones. I've tried to tweak the settings, but the color is just off. How can I get the same color I see on my monitor on my printer? Well, let me tell you, this could be an entire show, Cynthia. But mm-hmm. there, there are a couple of things you want to start with. First of all, you need to get a colorimeter. And this is a device that you use to record a profile of your monitor. It tells your software way, the way that the monitor sees color. Then you need to make sure that you have accurate printer profiles that can talk to your calibrated monitor. And, and the way you do that is you download, for instance, if you were to use an Epson, you can download the Epson printer profiles that match the specific paper and the specific ink that you're using. That's very important. The profile must match the paper and ink, and you must be working with a profile monitor. Now, where the typical bugaboo comes in this workflow is most programs like Photoshop tend to default to letting the printer control the color, and that's where the problem tends to come. The answer is have Photoshop or Aperture or Lightroom or whatever software you're using control the color. The printers are using a 22 cent EEPROM to control the color and, you know, programs like Photoshop costs almost 700 bucks. So you can imagine who will do the better job. So that's where the 90% of the time when I do consulting on color management issues, I find that people are letting the printer control the color. So to remember the right answer here, printer equal bad, software equal good. Now, Ron, do you want to pick up on that, extrapolate any? No, I mean exactly what you're saying. Pretty much, it's it's every time I've tried to do it, it is kind of a pain in the butt. Nobody's really made it as easy as it should be, and I think the big problem is because there's so many different factors contributing to it. But you know, starting with a good calibration device, I think is you know your best because and the the thing that buying a calibration device gets you is not only the device, but they tend to then walk you through the process, and that's really the key thing because you're going to have to change settings in a few different places. Yeah. Okay, well, that, hopefully that got that answer. We we are planning to do a, a color calibration video or show or something because this is a big problem for a lot of people, and obviously we need to address it. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Next question comes from Matt Cunningham. Can you recommend a close-up lens for me? I have a Canon 30D. I'm technically a novice, but I have some good basic skills. I want to shoot my son indoors using available light. I'm not so much sure you want a close-up lens. Yeah, as I think you, there's a terminology want, issue, first yeah, of all. You, you might want a lens that has a close focusing distance. Uh, anybody have any recommendations? Well, I, I guess, uh, you know, it sounds like uh, Matt is looking for more of a portrait lens that he Thank wants you. to maybe get up close and maybe fill the, the frame with uh, the face of his son or his subjects. So, um, you know, I, th- I think we generally tend to like uh, a slightly telephoto uh, lens that, uh, you know, is able to sort of compress uh, the, the uh, you know, give you pleasing uh, facial uh, features by using a slightly longer lens. Um, I'm not familiar with the, the Canon lens line, and Scott no longer is. Ron, are you... <laughs> Are you a Canon guy? Well, there's there's a really nice 100 millimeter uh, 
prime Canon lens that's uh, you know great for for this sort of thing. Uh, fairly fast lens. I, the thing I would say first of all for him is because he does isn't you know he's talking about wanting to shoot uh, indoors and potentially close-ups and all that. He's got a twenty-eight to one thirty-five, which is a pretty big range, and he should probably just play with that zoom lens and figure out which way he likes it. You know, setting it to 25 versus setting it to 135 and taking some photos is going to be radically different in terms of how he shoots. And I think he'd learn from that sort of which direction he wants to go. What's he really looking for? Uh, once you get that, then looking at something that's either a higher-end L lens or, you know, maybe a prime, like I said, uh, he could sort of, you know, zero in on what sort of uh, range that he wants or what sort of length that he's really going to be useful for what he's trying to shoot. Yeah. The other thing I would just quickly add is, if yeah, why not sure. use that lens, Matt, and really sort of experiment with it until you feel that you know you've reached a limitation. And also, just ramp up the ISO. It's obviously not a, a fast lens, but you know, for your experimentation purposes, you know, maybe if you're using available light, uh, you know, put it at sixteen hundred and and see and see what you're getting in terms of the visuals. And then if it's a noise issue, once you discover what focal length within that zoom range works best or is working for you, then maybe you can look at a faster uh, prime lens. Very good advice. Let's move on to a fellow Canadian of yours there. I see. Thomas Brower checks in from Edmonton and says uh, he's going to have his first photography exhibition at the university there in Edmonton. Congratulations. And they want him to provide 24 images. He wants to know what tips we would give to non-professional photographers who are about to begin the image selection process and what re- re- advice we might have regarding hanging the show. Steve, where do you start when you're going through image selection process for a show? Well, I would also congratulate Thomas, and maybe my mom and my sister live in Edmonton, so they're going to be there. I'll, I'll send them out if we find out where he's exhibiting. But I guess to start out, um, you know, obviously uh, it's important. He's got 24 images. I don't know his work. But obviously, I think um, if it's going to be kind of a greatest hits, you want to make sure that every image represented in the show um, is is different enough from each other. There isn't redundancy that every image kind of adds to the the. The, the, the sum is greater than the parts. So if you've got two images that are kind of similar, maybe taken in the same situation, you got to be the ruthless editor and just make sure that you, you choose one. Even though they both may be good, you have to be kind of ruthless in that regard. And if he has enough material, the idea of, of finding a theme that would work within this exhibition, I think would you know, add an extra layer to to the experience of the viewer that comes in where they can see a variety of images all on some theme. I mean, it could be a loose theme, you know, all taken outdoors or all nature or all whatever, or it could be a, a, a more nailed down theme, something more specific depending on the work he has to draw from. And, and the, lastly, I'll just say that, you know, in Aperture, I will often, you know, throw some pictures on a light table. If I know the layout of the exhibition, I would sort of make a light table for each wall and then try and see which pictures I'm going to put on each wall within the uh, exhibition. And you can sketch it out if you're not using Aperture or there are probably other ways to do that. But that's that's also a good idea because you want to be able to 
create an order within the experience of the viewer that comes to the exhibition. So it starts here, and then and then by the end of it, they've kind of there's there's been some sort of narrative, perhaps. It's something you could the uh, the light table is a really interesting idea because you know you can overlap pictures on that light table, so you could actually go out and shoot a photo of the exhibition space, like a picture of the wall where they're going to be hanging, and then sort of lay your photos on top of that and see exactly what it's going to look like. Absolutely. That's a good idea. Very good. I, wanna, I do want to mention he um, asked about hanging the show. Hanging stuff, yeah. Oh, and uh, un- never unfor- mind that. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, well, no, he both. He yeah, did both. Uh, that's true. Um, unfortunately, Thomas, you rarely have much control over hanging the show, but if you do, my advice is try to get each image its own space. The worst mistake I see a lot of galleries make when it comes to hanging photography and pretty much any art is they're so desperate to sell things that they cram everything in the world onto one wall thinking that that wall space is too valuable to just let an image breathe. And when they do that, unfortunately, they simply do not sell. I used to own a gallery, and here's how you sell stuff. You get one nice image in one area of the wall all by itself with some space around it so it breathes and people can really see it and make sure there's good light on it. Those are the two biggies. And then if the show lasts over a period of time, don't rely on the gallery to take care of it. You go take care of it. Bring, you know, bring some glass cleaner if you've got glass over the prints and make sure everything's tidy and nice. Make sure there's plenty of business cards. Uh, it's nice to have an artist statement there. It's nice to have uh, information about your future work. Uh, th- these are things you can do and, and try to improve your, your situation there. So hope that helps you. Let's move on to, let's go with Colin. Colin Belson says, 18-year-old high school student living in Toronto, Ontario. What is with you Canadians Canadians, today, Steve? man. Canadians love TWIP. I mean, I guess they, so. You know? we, we, well, oh, we got to talk to those lawyers. we gotta, we got to get them involved in the contest. And no, actually, actually, what we have to do is talk to the, uh, the authorities in Canada, get them to drop their huge bond requirements anytime oh, there's a contest. Yeah. That's, I'd have to pay a $300,000 cash bond. I'd have I'll to make be- a few calls. I'll yeah. make a few calls. You get that wave for me, and I'll go ahead and put stuff up there. <laughs> now, people run contests all the time, by the way, without doing that. They just run the risk of being you know, illegal, which we aren't going to do here. Anyway, from Toronto, Colin says, I listen and love the show. I've been thinking about making photography a career, and I was wondering what you suggest to specialize or not specialize, and if so, what school would be the best to study photography? Well, there's lots of schools, Colin, that... You know, living in Toronto, you're closer to the East Coast. There's tons of stuff going on in New York. If you got the the Bucks, a lot of people like Brooks. That's been a big name in photography for a long time, although it's sort of diminished in its prowess over the years. There's a, a school that Steve teaches at. Maybe Steve can talk about yeah, well, I mean, I teach in New York at ICP, the International Center of Photography. But, you know, knowing Toronto quite well, I know there's a lot of great photo programs there, uh, you know, Ryerson University. Uh, as far as photojournalism, uh, Loyalist College in Belleville, Ontario is probably the premier place. It's only a couple hours from Toronto. But I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of you, – you, you in some ways can't make a bad choice, although it's, it's really important you make the right choice when it comes to school. But you also have to maybe figure out kind of what it is that you want to do because, as we know, photography is a huge umbrella. And, you know, in the TWIP listenership out there, there are people that do all kinds of different photography. So, I mean, I think it's – it's, it's sort of deciding kind of what kind of uh, f- 
photographic life you want to have? Do you want to be doing fashion or commercial? Well, you can make a lot more money than you can in documentary or, or photojournalism that you might be more compelled to want to do. So, so these are some of the questions you, you have to ask. And talk to photographers. Don't be shy. You know, if you're 18 years old and you phone a professional photographer, often they will take the time and answer your questions and that will help you to kind of figure out maybe what your next step will be. As far as I talked to a lot of students, a lot of students you know, about getting into the visual effects industry, and especially those that are, you know, looking for, you know, what schools to go to and all that. And the point I always try to make with them, you know, I know when I went through school, it was sort of like I would get my assignment, I would do it, and then I'd be done, and I could go out uh, to the bars, and. You know, the thing I eventually realized is that when you go when you're going to school, don't just assume that, you know, the assignment is it. You really need to take advantage of the environment and, you know, make contacts of other people that are doing stuff. Do projects outside of school. Get out there and, you know, I mean, if, if this is going to be your career, you need to convince yourself you're going to love it. And you have to be out doing it, not just sort of, I'm going to get through the assignment and be done. So that's just sort of a general word of advice for anybody that's thinking about getting into this is look beyond the boundaries of some structured program and, and do a lot of your own stuff too and make good contacts because that's as much as anything getting in touch with other people that are doing the same thing is tremendously helpful yeah and when i when i was teaching you know we would have internships and i would always tell the students you know just you know aim high go with the dream scenario and then work your way down and many did and and some of the students interned one of them with annie libovitz uh one of them you know with life magazine when it was going i'm dating myself a little magnum photographers and these opportunities are out there so don't just limit yourself necessarily to um you know what's in your neighborhood because you know you can find a way and 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 the experience you get in a short time dealing with people who have kind of risen to the tops of the ranks can be hugely educational um, and well worth the effort. As far as specializing goes, I just want to say if you're 18, you don't know what you want to specialize in. You need to try lots of different photography and you know specialize later when you have a sense about what's what you want to do, what's profitable to you in terms of either money or satisfaction. Sometimes those two are very far apart in the photo world, by the way. But I wouldn't worry about specializing when you're just getting started at 18. I would worry more about trying to find the right, as Steve was saying, photo mentors and and, and trying to move through it. So we hope that helps uh, keep us uh, informed of your progress, Colin. Let's move on to William McIntosh, who wanted to alert us that Disneyland is now banning lenses that are six inches long or longer from both Disneyland uh, and California Adventure. And this was in response to paparazzi showing up in t- uh, pursuit of Lindsay Lohan. Ron, what, what do you think about this latest dose of ridiculousness? Oh, it's just, it just annoys me. And, and you know what even annoys me more is, you know, I, I looked through the forum on uh, discussions about this, and, you know, the guy was talking about wanting to kind of get around to see some backstage kind of stuff, you know, val- valid stuff for a photographer to be interested. And then there, there was people saying, well, you know, that kind of activity has been associated with terrorism, and I don't see any problem with <laughs> this. And it's just like, who are you people? Do you know there's a certain segment of our society that has sold fear so well that uh, that people have basically lost all touch with reality and decided to make in- decisions that are against their own interest? I don't understand it. But here's the really funny part about this. 
if they're banning six-inch lenses because they are afraid that, well, those are telephoto lenses that you might be able to get some really great information from because they can look further than, than, than lenses that aren't six inches. What's really funny is Canon makes this diffracted optics series of lenses, and they have a 400 f4 DO lens that is less than six inches long. So yep. you can sit there with a 400 millimeter lens and technically, hey, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not violating the ban. And someday soon, you know, lenses that are half an inch long will be able to do a thousand millimeters. It is really funny. The, the, they aren't even taking the steps that they need to take if they're trying to accomplish what they say they want to accomplish. But I think it's a knee jerk reaction. And as I always do, when somebody does something that I don't think makes sense. Now, occasionally these bands might make sense. One out of 50 times. This one doesn't make sense to me. And when they do that, I just simply vote with my feet. I won't be doing any business with Disneyland. So, I mean, people can do whatever they want to do. But I just think it's silly. And if photographers start to make it known that we don't appreciate being treated like criminals and terrorists by the people we're giving money to, it may cause them to rethink their position because most of them want money more than they want anything else. How can we look Mickey in the eye after something like this? I mean, really. <laughs> Apparently with a wide-angle lens. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's on the we we could do we we get hundreds of these by the way uh, you know and I'm actually thinking of you know like America's stupidest photo rules type of show where we just go on and on and on about the idiots that have banned photography this way or that way because it makes them feel good I do want to mention all that that not all the time are the bands legitimate uh, I was in um, Irvine no where was I I was in Southern L A area. Oh, I was in Newport Beach at the at the big shopping mall, the, the Fashion Place Mall there. And I was there with uh, a person, and we were walking by the Apple Store, and this was when the 3G iPhone was being released. And she just pulled out a uh, iPhone and snapped a photo of it. And some security guard ran over and said, no photography is allowed here. So I wrote to the mall's owners, and they said, well, actually, the security guard overstepped his authority. Uh, you, 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 there was no prohibition against, quote-unquote, casual photography there, and we'll instruct him differently. So... Just because some rent-a-cop comes over and tells you you can't do it doesn't mean it's actually the policy. You, you, you might want to say, does your boss know that that's the policy? And if we were to talk to your boss right now, would he verify that that's the policy? And if it gets heated, just go ahead and leave. But contact the boss, get something in writing from him, take it back to that security guard and say, hey, you're almost as stupid as you look because here's what your boss said. Uh, if if it's legitimate and if these people are doing what their bosses told them, then I don't have any anger towards them at all because they're just trying to keep their job, and I yeah. I respect that. But if they're guys like the guy that I ran into at the Fashion Place Mall, who was, by the way, remarkably, remarkably similar in appearance to Barney Fife. <laughs> I you know in in those cases where you've got what we used to call a badge heavy cop in in my neighborhood when I was growing up or or someone who you know this is their only authority in the world and by golly they're going to exercise it it's okay to noodle them a little bit in my opinion and once again the the real power lies in the owners of these properties and letting them know that you don't appreciate being treated like a terrorist because you happen to have a camera and if you're one of those that agrees with these bans Please write to me and provide me with something articulate and generated based on specificity that shows me why a six-inch ban on, on lenses at Disneyland really makes sense to you. I'd love to find out who that person is yeah. because so far that just doesn't reach me at 
Oh. You know, okay. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll move on, but I just want, I was just thinking that, you know, just the fact that photography, digital photography has become so popular and it's increasingly more popular that I think that, you know, like you say, Scott, this kind of thing is just going to keep coming up and up and up. And, uh, you know, I, I think we, we need to stay on top of it. I'm glad that we're, we're talking about it when these things do come up. And, uh, you know, we're just going to have to deal with these things. Yeah. Well, let's uh, do at least one more question, maybe two. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing this properly. Magnus Norden writes that he was watching my video on the packing for Alaska and noticed that I had a teleconverter. And the question was, what is our experience with teleconverters? Hmm. Have you used teleconverters, Ron? Yeah, I have. You know, it's, it's that that trade-off of you're sticking an extra piece of glass in there to get some length, so you... Uh, not only are you going to lose light, you may, you may lose like a stop of, of uh, light out of that, but you know it, it's potentially going to degrade the image a little bit too. Uh, you can spend a lot of money on a good you know teleconverter, and you know usually the the one point four times is going to be better than the two x in terms of quality. But you know if you need the reach, I mean it all kind of it, it's just like everything else in photography. You've you've got these compromises you make, and if getting a longer lens is important to you relative to losing some light gathering capabilities then yeah you know they're absolutely a useful tool to have yeah i highly recommend getting if you're a nikon shooter nikon teleconverters if you're a canon shooter canon teleconverters i find that the third party teleconverters in general now i'm not making an indictment of every single one out there but more often than not, they are poor substitutes for the brand names in this case. I'm not a real big stickler on you have to use Nikon or Canon lenses, but I am a big stickler on using Nikon or Canon or whatever brand you use, teleconverters. And in addition to what Ron said about giving up some light gathering capability, you also give up some lens quality because most of these teleconverters don't have as many elements to them. The glass isn't as well treated. So you are going to lose a little clarity in addition to light gathering capability in return for length. I use the Nikon 1.7 teleconverter with the 2 to 400 F4 VR, which, you know, gives you a lot more length. But I, I noticed in addition to losing, you know, some light, I do see less image detail when I use that teleconverter. Even though it's a very good teleconverter, it's four or 500 bucks, you still lose something. So... As Ron said, it's always a trade-off. Yeah, I'll just, just I'll just throw in. I agree with everything that you guys just so eloquently uh, put. Um, and the other thing too is, you know, the the teleconverters when you see them, they're very small. So the idea of having one in your camera bag for those times when, hey, the longest lens you have just isn't long enough, and you know you're going to ramp up your ISO a little bit to compensate for the low light, it may just make the difference for that particular situation. So certainly, it's great to have in your camera bag. It doesn't take up a lot of space, and it's there when. And you need it. Yeah, it depends on the kind of photography you're doing. If your stuff's going to be four inches wide in a newspaper, don't worry about image quality. If you're planning on shooting for a coffee table book, then then you might have to think about it. Well, I think that's it for this week. We've answered quite a few questions, and we appreciate you listening to the show. We want to hear from you. Give us your questions, comments, concerns at twipphoto at gmail.com. Also, leave comments on the blog. If you're over in the Flickr group, please don't make comments about the show there. That's strictly for photo-related subjects. And absolutely, positively, be sure to uh, enter the contest. You know, Let us know what you think. We, we love hearing from you. In the meantime, we uh, don't know what we're planning for next week. 
but we do always like to leave each show with a tip. And Ron, I don't think you've had a chance at a tip lately. Do you want to take a chance at a tip? Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll give a tip that may you guys may not actually agree with, but you know, I, this is <laughs> this is my personal philosophy. I've been, and this is based on being sort of really on top of sort of what the cutting edge of uh, image processing is doing these days. But I've kind of come to the conclusion that I'm not going to throw away any photos anymore. I'm just going to keep everything, you know, with the exception of I forgot to take the lens cap off and it's completely black. I just keep seeing so many things where, you know, the tools are getting better and better for recovering photos. The tools are getting better and better for reconstructing sort of 3D scenes of the environment. You know, and then, so maybe some pictures you took that didn't, didn't particularly look that great as a photo themselves. But five years from now, you may be able to just toss these all in a piece of software and it'll do some amazing reconstruction or create a different angle of that scene. And, you know, storage is cheap. Get yourself a Drobo and just accept the fact that, you know, there's, there's a bunch, there's going to be just a chunk on there that may not be useful now, but a few years down the road, you never know what might come out of it. Okay. I actually don't necessarily disagree with that advice because hard disk space becomes cheaper and cheaper by the day. And given these new tools and what happened with the Monica Lewinsky photographs. <laughs> exactly. You, you, never, you never know. You never so, know. Uh, good tip. Steve, where can people find out what you're up to in addition to your, your messing around with Carson Kressley? And, uh, and I, I, mean, I mean that in a photographic <laughs> way. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I guess, you know what? You guys, you got me on Twitter. Dot, Twitter, right? Twitter. Twitter.com. I, I, want, Twitter. I, want, I like Twitter now, and I want more people to, you know, yeah, I've seen Twitter. you posting on there. You've got a good number of followers that kind of uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm nowhere close to the uh, you know, I, I, you know, Scott is like Moses or Charlton Heston <laughs> leading the. Yeah. I mean, he's got thousands of followers, and and Ron, you've got you've got almost thousands as well. Um, so certainly, yeah, follow me on just, on Twitter. It, yeah, it's, just, it's a slow yeah. build, but you'll get them. Now you got to tell them how you got to tell them how to do that. You have to say Steve Simon on the Twitter. Oh, okay. Steve Simon on the Twitter. Was that is that all that people really need? That's all. That's all oh, they right. need to know. Okay. Steve cool. Simon, all one word on the Twitter. You have three hundred and thirty nine followers now. Right, wow. Right now. That's, that's pretty good. Well, I promise I'll post some cool little tidbits to uh, anyone that's gonna gonna follow See, me. I'll give you a hint. If you want more followers, huh? Do more updates. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. One every week is not enough. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm realizing that, so I, I pledge. The one you to... posted was a very good one, Steve. But you need okay. to do yeah. more. <laughs> but we we do we do need more. And how about you, Ron? Uh, I'm on the Twitter at Ron Brinkman, and you need to spell my name properly. I, I actually did register Ron Brinkman with one N, and I occasionally go over there and chastise the stupid people that start following the <laughs> non-existent Ron Brinkman. But it's Ron Brinkman with two N's at the end. Okay. And you can follow me on the Twitter at Scott Bourne, also at scottbourne.com. Check out the Aperture Nature Photography workshops at f64.com. And, of course, I tend to post to our blog at twipphoto.com every single day. Thanks to Aaron for producing the show. Thanks to our various show note takers. And, of course, thanks to our sponsors, Drobo, and over on the blog, Lens Baby and Audible. Until next week, why don't you go ahead and put that lens cap right back on. See ya. See ya.